some changes let's change the way we eat let's change the way we live and let's change the way we treat each other you see the old way wasn't working so what so is the healthy way to eat do. that is the debate that we seem to all find ourselves in at some point in time and to avoid that a lot of us want to take a middle road and not adhere to dogma that we see other groups using that may or may not be true Sometimes a lot of it doesn't sound very reasonable to us, or maybe the stuff that does sound reasonable is being lumped in with other things that sound a little far-fetched. So what is the healthiest diet vegan? Is it a ketogenic diet, paleo, nutritarian? Is it the diet that I'm trying right now, which I'm teasing today? But before I dive into my experiment that I've been engaged in for a little over a week now, I realized that we really have to lay some groundwork to really understand what's been going on and causing this confusion. We need to look at the principles here and approach it objectively. Because it is 2018, it seems like that every year there is more confusion than ever. And we're going to get into right now to why that is. There's a lot of evidence that there's not one dietary path that's going to suit everybody's needs. And by needs we mean, in this instance, I'm not talking about living to a certain age and just surviving. The goals that we have through Vigor Revolution are to find the optimal approach that's going to be personalized to you, that allows you to be as strong as possible, as healthy as possible, as lean as possible, to have the best mental and emotional experiences, basically to be the best person that you possibly can be. We are assuming that as we approach this, that we do have body composition goals in mind, and that we are trying to maybe take a couple pounds off, add some pounds of muscle reach some strength goals, things of that nature. One of the biggest confounds we have right now is you see a lot of these social media superstars and you know they're on YouTube or Facebook or whatever it is they're doing and they're raving about their diet and how great it is but we don't really have an objective way of looking at that. We don't have tests that these people are doing that's showing oh this person's performing better than ever and that's a huge part of the problem is everybody has an opinion right now but our culture is allowing people of all shapes and sizes to give those opinions when their performance might be lacking so we have to look at you know that individual's history we have to look at what they're capable of doing physically what their energy is during the day and these are all subjectively being broadcast out there and we really don't have an objective view of what's going on so what we do need is we have three macronutrients there's this is kind of assuming that everybody's starting off on the beginning phase or maybe needs a refresher and kind of a little confusion about what's going on Three main macronutrients, protein, fats, and carbohydrates. The last two are often discussed more at length, given all the debates right now. Micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, and others. You'll see there's asterisks next to the carbohydrates and others because they're, as we get into this, especially as I do the follow-up to this in part two, we're going to get into what's going on with those two that might be a problem in the way that we're approaching this. As far as energy sources, the two main ones are either coming from carbohydrates or from fats. Yes, protein can be converted into energy by a process called gluconeogenesis, but it's being converted into glucose to fuel um, muscles in the brain. The most direct source of glucose is going to come from carbohydrates. 
Obviously, vegetables have been highly touted as a miraculous food, probably the miracle food by most diets, and then everything else kind of has to be built around that, it seems. The, pl the phrase plant-based diet has been getting way in more, uh, more airplay over the last few years. Whether it means going fully vegan or not, you'll hear that phrase over and over again, that plant-based diet. Is that true? That's going to be answered. Fruits get a lot of um, publicity as well, given that they kind of grow in a similar fashion to vegetables, I guess, <laughs> the best that I could analyze. But when you're looking at becoming leaner, which most people do have that goal, fruits are going to be problematic. The fructose is metabolized by the liver in a certain way that's going to generally lead to storing more body fat. I've speculated for a long time that well, number one, if you look at our ancestors, we didn't have the types of fruits that we have available now and the quantities and, you know, with the amount of sugar that's inside, it's a result of a lot of um, different efforts by mankind over the year to make the fruit different. But I would suspect that fructose would only be available in summer months in regions that would become cold. So it was a survival mechanism and a beneficial for our body to take that fructose while it was more abundant, convert as much as possible into body fat, knowing that in a few months it was going to need that extra stored energy. Tubers and roots, sweet potatoes, potatoes, carrots, all that good stuff, grains. As far as fats go, um, basically we're going to cover the three main ones. Saturated implies that the fat chain is full of hydrogen bonds. It's solid at room temperature. Unsaturated is not. It's a liquid at room temperature. Trans fats are the ones that get the most publicity since they're man-made and they've been causing so much problems. However, at one time they were believed to be a great solution. Remember when margarine was super popular? Well, if you're still using margarine, I don't want to bust your bubble, but stop using margarine as soon as possible. Uh, switch to some Kerrygold grass Irish-fed butter. Delicious, delicious, delicious. Far better for you. A lot of people are seeing good results with coconut oil too. And lastly, our energy source. We have our body stores um, energy in a variety of different ways. When we put on lean muscle, that can be used as energy if we were to find ourselves in the midst of famine. Also, everybody has far more than enough body fat. Even if you're relatively lean at like, let's say, 10% for a man or like 18 20% for a woman, there's still lots of pounds of body fat that can be used um, during times of crisis if need be. We also are seeing more and more of the problematic storage of body fat. That's kind of a no-dust statement. Um, these are some statistics I pulled from the CDC as I was putting these slides together. More than one in three adults are now considered to be overweight. Two in three adults overweight or have obesity. More than one third considered to have obesity. To reference that, when I started school, uh, my first path was going down the nutrition road, which I quickly abandoned given some my personal experiences and what they were teaching, but that's another topic for another time. But I believe at that time the obesity was between 20 and 25%. So it's rising rapidly. About 1 in 13 adults are considered to have extreme obesity. And sadly now 1 in 6 children and adolescents age 219 are considered obese. So we have to look at um, this from a different lens. I read something written by Rob Wolf. I've read a lot of things written by Rob Wolf because he's a very analytical guy and he presents some good information and he combines many different things coming from different sources and different fields to create his perspective which is awesome and he used the and he used a term that I hadn't really heard 
yet in the context of this problem that we're having. And he used existential crisis. And at first I kind of, I don't know if I rolled my eyes, but I just kind of said, yeah, okay. And I just didn't really think about it. But at further thinking, the way that we're going now, we're seeing mortality rates for the first time start to get to ages where we can expect our children to live shorter lives than we're living. That's the first time that's happened in America. So it is, is this is a crisis. This is a crisis when you look at the impact of our healthcare. It's a crisis when you look at the impact of our agricultural practices and what's happening to you know farmable land in this country. This really does address a lot of different areas of our culture and our society that's really struggling right now. So this question about what do I eat does become a pretty huge, important, conscious practice that we can put into place in order to try to impact our culture and head it in the right direction. I've said for a long time that really the only way to vote nowadays is with your wallet. We can rave on and on about politicians, but in the end, the entities that we are giving our money to are going to survive, and those that do not get our money are going to die. So anyways... That's the subtopic. <laughs> Sorry to get off track there. Let's look at, uh, you know, when we talk about our personalized objective nutrition, I covered this. We want to feel, look, and function our best. It's not about beliefs, dog, but it's not about being right. Okay, I'm not trying to tell you that anything you're thinking is wrong. What I am going to ask you is, are you getting the results you want? Because if you're not getting the results that you want, then it's not about being right or wrong. It's about the fact that, okay, you don't have the results yet. So is it a mindset problem? Do you have unrealistic expectations? Or is there something we can actually change to get you to where you want to be? This isn't about me. This is about you. Protein is the first macronutrient. It's used by every part of the body to develop, grow, and function. It builds muscle mass. It provides a lot of satiety at meals, and it stabilizes blood sugar. It's been connected with cognitive and um, cognition, brain function, our emotional experiences. There's 20 amino acids that can be found in proteins. Nine are essential. So here we're hitting our first essential nutrient. Essential nutrients must be eaten. The body cannot synthesize them no matter what you give them. So there are nine essential amino acids. Animal protein is the best. I'm putting that in quotations because what that means is that it covers all of the needed amino acids. All the essential amino acids are there and they're in abundant ratios. There's a really erroneous argument that goes around in the vegan communities and I've seen it written. Um, by Dr. Furman and some other people from the nutritarian approach where they say, um, I believe it was like, if you look gram for gram at the amount of protein comparing steak to broccoli, then broccoli is way higher. But that's completely false because when you look at the breakdown of amino acids, broccoli does not have near the amount of essential amino acids in, it, in the ratios that your body needs. There is a debate about whether or not we can get our amino acids from different sources and whether that's as good. That's what vegans and vegetarians who are consciously building a diet are trying to do. They're trying to combine foods in order to meet those amino acid needs. Um, like I said, this is not proven that you can do this in such a way where it's better than animal products. That'll be covered at more in part two. Animals and animal products, we're going to cover you know ruminants like beef, lamb. Uh, we have chickens, fish, eggs are included in that. That's what we're basing our protein on. Carbohydrates coming from plants, tubers, sugar, starches. Some are complex, some are more simple, as we talked about, like fructose and, and fruit is very simple, or as opposed to the starches in um, green vegetables are very complex. They readily provide available fuel for the brain and body. 
the net carbs implies that your total carbohydrate intake after the fiber is removed. Fiber does not count as the same as the um, starches and the sugars within the foods. Glycemic load is a better um, test to use for how blood sugar is impacted. Everybody's or most people have heard of the glycemic index, but glycemic index does not take into account portion sizes. Glycemic load does. And we are looking, there is usually a good high correlation between the two, but sometimes there are some foods that are do not have as high as glycemic load as their glycemic index would imply because there's not as much sugar in that serving size as there would be in other foods. So when you are tracking some of these, if you're testing different sugars and different carbohydrates in your system to see what you feel best on, look for glycemic load values. It'll make things a lot more clear for you. There's a great book out uh, referring again to Rob Wolf, his Wired to Eat program. He has a 30-day reset, and it's probably, from what I've seen, the best plan that really uses um, an individualized blood sugar test. So you do the reset period of 30 days or longer, you test your blood sugar, and then that's going to help you see how your body's reacting to those carbohydrates rather than basing it on standardized numbers or basing it on other people's opinions. You can actually start to get in now with some pretty cheap and pretty cool tools and you can start to get a better internal perspective of what might be going on when you eat these things. I'll, I said at the, you know, at the, at the first screen there, there was an asterisk next to the carbohydrates and next to other nutri uh, nutrients. And the reason for that is that there are no essential carbohydrates. That's very important to remember. There are essential fats, there are essential amino acids, there are zero essential carbohydrates. You do not have to have carbohydrates in the diet. The debate can start now. You can start screaming or <laughs> with a few people watching this, you can click up your comments below and start, you know, filling uh, all caps responses. Carbohydrates are classified by sugars or polysaccharides. Storage form in plants is, um, uh-oh brain fart right, right while I'm live. Got to read my slide here. Glycogen and starch are storage carbohydrates. Animal cells store glucose as glycogen and plant cells store glucose as starch. Okay. Structurally, these have cellulose on the outside um, and it forms, it's one of the reasons that it's going to digest differently than a sugar basically. A problem with when we get to refined sugars is that those outer structures have been removed and so the sugar is absorbed much differently much faster and that's a problem not only for us but it's a problem for our gut microbiome too as those can feed different things that we don't necessarily want to be feeding sugars are found in fruits and then obviously we are manufacturing many now and manipulating them sugars and starches there seems to be some evidence that they might be needed for some types of activities um, in the ketogenic world you will see that there are um, people who are successfully in ketosis and they're successfully performing at a high level when you get to certain glycolytic training activities like um, a high intensity sport like basketball that requires a lot of bursting and sustained effort so you're using the glycolytic pathway or um, a lot of people in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world are on ketosis but they still have to be fueling some carbohydrates to get through that type of training so it's just worth noting there that it's good to approach this you know with reasonable expectations fats whenever people see fat there's there's still that connotation unfortunately in mainstream 
media that there's a problem with fat, particularly saturated fats. The fear of fat can be traced back to the Seven Nation and the China studies. Both have been heavily criticized for methods that they use. The Seven Nation study, for example, the researcher intentionally left out um, countries like France that were consuming highest, some of the highest amounts of saturated fat but not seeing heart disease. So it's very biased to begin with. And then there's been debates about how much the sugar industry has manipulated some of that data over the years. Some doctors have been accused and some researchers of, you know, being persuaded by lobbyists or by the sugar industry to publish and um, propagandize some results to leading to that fear of fats and pushing sugar rather than fat into foods. So just keep that in mind. There's a lot of literature out there. A lot of books have been written about that. Here's a just... For those who like the science-y kind of stuff here, this is what kind of gives you some interpret or some uh, visuals for what you can expect when you, you're talking about these different types of fats, comparing the saturated, the unsaturated fat, and why one would be solid and one would be liquid. The trans fat was invented to try to make an unsaturated fat into a saturated fat. Now is based on this fear of saturated fats, which we're finding out is absolutely false, thanks to um, some other types of approaches to nutrition overview here of fats they're either unsaturated or saturated there is some essential the essential fats are unsaturated fats they can be obtained in many different sources so you don't necessarily have to be supplementing with like flaxseed or some of these other things that have been really pushed by supplementation and you know by different um, advocates of nutrition approaches they are found abundantly in fish. They're also found in other sources. And there's the sources right there. Omega-3 fats, alpha-linolenic. Starting to, hold on, got to refuel some water. There we go. Okay. Fish oil, walnut oil, hemp oil, green leafy vegetables. Whenever you see information like this, um, one thing that's important to remember is that there is that just because a food has something doesn't miss necessarily make it as bioavailable as other sources. And that's people argue against animal products under this, under this um, assumption. They'll say, well, you can get all these in the list out every s substance, whether it's a fat or a carbohydrate or a micronutrient that you can get, and you can get it in a vegan or vegetarian source. And that's one of the main arguments against meat is that you don't need meat because these things are coming from different sources. But there's a lot of research out there that shows that the bioavailability of animal products is far superior to plant-based products. It's important when we're looking at the healthy diet, we've touched on this, optimizes physical health, body composition, provides all our energy, we're performing better as much as we can. Um, conscious food choices, and what I mean by that is that we're eating for our overall happiness, we're eating to you know be the best individuals we can as parents, as spouses, as friends and family, pursuing our biggest dreams, rather than living to eat. We are eating to live, and then the healthy diet will provide all those essential nutrients and in their optimal quantities that we need. There it is again: zero essential carbohydrates. I can't say that enough. When people are saying that you need carbohydrates, it's 100% false. Glucose can come from other sources. Absolutely, it may not be as efficient to convert protein to glucose on your own, but that will be covered in part two of this in a couple of days. When we're eating to live, that gives us the freedom 
There's a great quote that I like to use from Aristotle that discipline equals freedom. Jocko Willink has a modified version of that too. I forget his off the top of my head, but it's more or less the same thing. But if we're pursuing experiences and challenges rather than that immediate instant gratification, those sugar highs, you know, the effects of alcohol, things of that nature, those things can absolutely be part of a healthy and happy life. It's when we prioritize those over our long-term vision, over our bigger experiences, the ones that we have to experience in this lifetime. That's where the foods and that's where the diet becomes the problem. When we're sacrificing our long-term health and happiness for those, for the, what I like to call the carbo coaster going up and down. Cause let's be honest, it's always some form of, uh, sugar or, you know, other junk food that maybe has unhealthy fats. Alcohol does some, a lot of the same effects as sugar in the body aside from the toxin that affects the brain differently than the carbohydrates. But these substances, these foods give us certain experiences. Grains particularly have been shown to have opioid pro uh, properties as well as dairy. So when you're ingesting these, you're, you don't realize it, but one of the reasons that you end up craving them or really thinking about them, or if someone says, hey, maybe don't eat that for a while, you freak out is because you're getting an opiate effect in the brain from those, from those opioids that are in that food. Boom. talked about that enough so when we start to look at micronutrients you know marketing has played a huge role marketing and lobbying shapes a lot of our beliefs about some of these foods if I say vitamin C almost everybody will say oranges there are better sources though and I've listed a bunch and I've shown that you know if you're gonna take a ketogenic approach you can get out tons of vitamin C in your diet without touching a fruit and when we go into my diet that I'm experimenting with right now, that gets even more contentious. There's our ratio chart. Principles. Principles over dogma. A great bit way to begin, if you don't want to jump in and try like a ketogenic approach or necessarily go paleo right away, something you can do, um, and I really like this approach for a lot of years, this, comes from, this chart comes from Precision Nutrition. You start with a serving of protein. I tell people either a palm or even include the fingers. One to two servings of vegetables. A smaller serving of cup of carbohydrates, so like it, whatever you could fit in a cupped hand. And then a serving of fats that are in your thumb. Or if your meat or your fish or whatever your protein source has fat in it, then that can count for the fat for the meal. So for those who really just want to avoid, you know, a specific philosophy like paleo or keto or vegan or vegetarianism, you can start eating the same foods and you can just start testing these ratios, trying a balanced approach using those foods that you might be used to rather than eliminating everything at once. This ratio approach does apply. You're not going to be eating a lot of like processed and fast foods. Okay. If you're not satiated for three to four hours, then I would up the quantity of protein, perhaps up the quantity of vegetables. And if you're, if it's after a training session, you can get away with some fruit or some higher glycemic carbs that maybe otherwise would throw you out of whack. This is assuming your body's handling carbohydrates and you have, you know, good insulin sensitivity, which is a whole nother ball of wax to get, you know, bust through. These are just a couple of, you know, when people start talking about like resetting, um, when you want to basically the term resetting can get kind of confusing or gets thrown into a lot of dietary approaches that I wouldn't recommend like juice fasting or water fasting, things like that. Things I actually have done in the past 
And while it may make you leaner, it definitely does not make you healthier in the long run. There are, um, I referred to Rob Wolf's book earlier, the Paleo book, The Wired to Eat. It's a great way to reset and test your insulin sensitivity to starches and carbohydrates. Um, it's important to note that if you do have a body recompositioning goal, mainly lose fat, build muscle, uh, you know, gain weight in the right places, enhance your curves, all that good stuff that we all want. Maybe we don't want to admit it, but that's what we want. We want to look good naked, a lot of people say. It's still going to require you to strategically eat a certain amount of starches, sugars, fats. You still have to be aware of that. doesn't necessarily mean you have to start tracking calories, but you have to have a way of knowing, like we talked about in that previous slide, what your ratios are going to be that produces your best body composition. A ketogenic diet in a nutshell is just basically you cap the carbohydrates at 25 grams or less a day. Some people even go as low as 20 in the beginning. When the carbohydrates are low enough, the body uses all the glucose that's stored in the muscles and the liver, and then you start producing ketones. Within Most people, it takes about 24 to 72 hours. depends on how much is stored. depends on whether or not you've been in ketosis before. Um, a lot of people, and I found this too, that you might find better sensations as far as your mood, your thinking, your performance in this state when you're running off these ketones rather than relying on regular uh, hits of glucose from food. Producing it endogenously may have some benefits for a lot of people. And a lot of people are able to go just longer periods of time without eating. They're running off their own fuel storage, storage which is awesome. And we get into the goals most people have. Okay, so that basically covers what I wanted to touch on today. And the reason we're stopping there is the next podcast I do is going to get into my current dietary approach. But having laid that groundwork of what is essential and what is not essential gives everyone some stuff to think about. And it also will help you start to clarify when you hear people promoting, you know, pretty much every dietary approach right now gets very dogmatic. And I think the reason for that that I've experienced is that when something works for people, I think they generally have a um, desire to, you know, try to help others, which I think is awesome. I think we're wired to be altruistic like that. And when we find solutions to want to share it with others is a great thing. But we do have to look at this thing objectively and we have to try to determine what we absolutely do need, what is essential, and how do we get there. And then how do we find that balance of immediate pleasure with our foods while also feeling, looking, thinking, and functioning our best all day, every day. Thanks for checking us out. We will um, be coming at you with our next podcast here and our next live event in just a day or two. So be on the lookout for that. Make a great Tuesday, everybody. to start making some changes let's change the way we eat let's change the way we live and let's change the way we treat each other you see the old way wasn't working so it's on us to do what we gotta do